It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Dr. Al Dannenberg, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. Well, what an honor to ask me to join you halfway around the world. Like, you know, we're, we're just like almost sitting in a living room talking back and forth, but I don't know how many miles from Charleston, South Carolina, Australia is, but it is a long way. It is a long way, but you're right. It does feel like we are in each other's lounge rooms. And uh, for that, I'm very grateful. It is a huge honor to have you on the podcast today, Dr. Allen. And to share your story that I think has the potential to help many, many people that are directly and indirectly affected by the ravages of metabolic dysfunction, and in particular, what we're going to probably focus on more about cancer today. My first question for you, Dr. L, is how did you end up in this position that you're at now? Well, or is the question, how did I become a dentist, periodontist, or how did I literally suffer two death-defying diseases and thriving today? Which, which answer do you want me to start with? <laughs> Let's go so, with both, but you can start on the cancer yeah. one first if you like. So I, I have to give you an idea where I am. I'm 74 years old. So there's a lot of story here. Um, hopefully we have enough time to do it. But I'm a periodontist. I specialize in gum disease and I've been treating patients for 44 years until September 2018 with when my life changed dramatically. But it didn't change dramatically at that point. I was 71 years old when that happened. Um, We'll get into that. But actually, at the age of 59 years old, I had a stroke. I thought I was a healthy guy. But after learning a little bit about what I was doing, I wasn't eating as healthy as I should. I was overweight, I guess, because I'm 5'7", kind of a short guy. But I weighed about 187 pounds, but I was satisfied. I was doing everything my contemporaries were doing. I was eating um, what I thought was healthy food, but which wasn't. I was exercising almost every day, but basically aerobically. And I went around about my life until uh, the age of 59. I wake up one morning and I can't speak. And my wife is an RN and she realizes what is happening. And she literally, calmly, which I probably wouldn't do myself, takes me to the emergency room. And lo and behold, I am in the process of having a stroke. So the doctors, the medical doctors, conventional medical doctors in the United States saved my life. They put me on seven medications for the rest of my life. And within several weeks or so, I was able to get out of the hospital and maybe another month or so. I was able to get back to my practice, but they said, of course, these seven medications would be part of my um, uh, protocol for for the rest of my life uh, if I wanted to not have a stroke anymore. And I asked them the simple question, well, what do I do other than take these medications? And they had no real answer. They basically said, eat a healthy diet and exercise. What does that mean? So I went to the American Heart Association, American Cancer Society, um, a few of the other medical organizations where I thought they would have protocols for their clients or patients, the people that were members of their organizations to get them healthy. Maybe that would make me healthy. So I followed their protocols and, and from the age of 59 to 66, 
I lost three, four, five pounds. I was still on all seven medications. I felt okay. Nothing really medically happening to me. And at the age of 66, I found a course at an area called the Kripalu Center for um, Yoga and Health in the United States in Massachusetts. Um, and it was for healthcare professionals, a five-day intensive course about nutrition. And I thought this was going to be ideal. I needed to learn and make sure I was doing the right things. I took the course and lo and behold, I learned about paleo diet and lifestyle, which I never heard of. And all of the information, maybe five or six physicians were part of this um, five-day seminar. Uh, I thought this made so much sense. So I went back home. I called my wife before I got there. I said, um, I have some changes I'd like to make. And as soon as I got home, we bumped our heads back, you know, in those days. And she agreed to give me a month um, to change to a paleo lifestyle and diet. So I cleaned out all of the non-paleo foods, which were all the grains and the processed foods, the sugars, and um, certainly the seed oils. And I filled up several, seven bags of groceries and took them to the food bank. We had no food. So my wife and I went out and did a bunch of shopping. I learned how to shop. I learned about vegetables and organic, and it was very exciting. And I did this uh, 100%. I just jumped in 100%. And from the age of 66 to 68, I actually lost 30, 35 pounds without even trying to lose weight because when you balance your hormones and everything is not irritating to your gut, um, you lose excess fat. Lo and behold, I was able to get off of all seven medications. I just didn't throw them away. It's just I didn't need them anymore. And my doctors were shocked. They had no idea what what I was doing. I explained it, but they didn't figure it out. And um, I did really well. Now I figured at the age of 66, this nutritional information and lifestyle information is amazing. I need to incorporate it with my patients, my periodontal patients, and I started to incorporate nutrition um, with every patient I had. Interestingly, I was in a conventional periodontal practice, meaning I did a lot of traditional surgery and whatever to treat gum disease with no well um, uh, coordinated uh, relationship of the gut and, and diet. But now I am incorporating what I learned and maybe 5% of my patients loved what I had to say. They, they adhered to what I had to say and their were, results were spectacular. The 95% only wanted to have their traditional periodontistry, their traditional periodontal disease. And certainly a periodontist knows nothing about nutrition because blah, blah, blah. I even had one patient that I remember literally leave the office. I thought I was really impressing this guy. He left the office, went to the front desk, and he said, I need you to send all my records to a real periodontist. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously, I did not tell my story well enough, but I've learned since then how to tell my story. So that is how I incorporated the change in, in eating and lifestyle. So here's the interesting thing. At the age of 66, and I'm doing very, very well, and people are learning about me and what I'm doing actually around the world, I start getting invited to speak at different places. And I wrote a book. And, you know, you write a book, now you're an expert, right? So so I did all these things. And in April of 2018, when I am now 71 years old, I was asked to speak at the um, Paleo FX meeting in Austin, Texas, in the United States. And I'm flying from Charleston, South Carolina there. And I have to transfer from, to uh, planes. And I go through a very, very large airport called the Atlanta Airport. And there are many, many concourses. And you could take trains to get one concourse to another to get your next flight. But I always like to walk the concourses if I have enough time. It takes maybe 20 minutes or more 
but I like to do that. But I put a bag, my luggage bag on my shoulder and I walk. So this time as I'm walking, my right shoulder starts to feel very tender and I am a wuss. I don't like pain at all, but it's tender and it doesn't seem to go away. So I go to Austin, I do my speech, I go back to Charleston. The pain still is there. And and this is April, 2018. All of a sudden the pain seems to go away, but it comes back to my back area, my scapula on the right side. And then it transfers to my chest area. And I'm actually having problems taking deep breaths. It's painful. Again, I'm a wuss. I don't like that. But finally, I decide I need to see my medical doctor and I make an appointment. Now it's August of 2018. And he says, well, let's do some blood work and see what's going on. You do basic blood work, CBC, CMT. And he also does what's called a C-reactive protein to try to find out if there's active systemic inflammation in my body. We want to pinpoint what's going on. Everything literally comes back pretty normal, but my CRP is extremely high. And generally, I, r- I run a very low CRP, 0.5 or, more, uh, or less. This was like 5.0 or 6.0, very, very high. And he, he knows that something's going on, but he doesn't know where. So he orders an MRI to look at my body head to toe. Now, the results come back. He calls me on the phone and he says, you want to come into the office? You, you want to talk on the phone about it. And I said, Billy, let's talk on the phone about it. Now, this is my doc when I had my stroke. He knows me very well. So he kids around and says, did you fall down some steps? Did somebody beat you up? Um, And of course I said, no. And then he gets very serious. And he says, from what I see, I think you have one of three things, either lymphoma, leukemia, or multiple myeloma blows me away. These are three cancers. Now, I believe I am a senior poster boy for a healthy lifestyle and diet. And here I am given the potential of life-threatening cancers. How could that be? So he refers me to an oncologist, wonderful guy, conventional oncologist. He's still my oncologist today. He does a whole bunch of other tests. PET scan, a variety of tests. Turns out I have a soft tissue mass on the side of my uh, spine that is malignant plasma cells. It turns out that I have several broken ribs, vertebral um, compression fractures, a a hairline crack in my um, pelvis, and I have holes throughout my entire skeleton. I am literally uh, ready to break bones. And so my oncologist and I meet for the first time after all these tests, he discusses what's going on with me. My wife is there. My two adult children are there. And very frankly, he tells me that I have incurable bone marrow cancer, which is called IgA kappa light chain multiple myeloma, incurable. And he also tells me I have three to six months to live. I am in pain, lots of pain. It's very hard to breathe because of the broken ribs. And uh, he says, let's start chemotherapy tomorrow. And he goes into the reasons for that. And I said, well, wait a minute. Um, You're telling me this is incurable, but why am I going to do chemotherapy if I have three to six months to live? And he said, well, if you do three to uh, chemotherapy, you're gonna live longer. And the chemotherapy is going to put you in remission and you'll be fine. And I said, well, then why is it incurable? He said that the chemo is only going to work for a while. And then this multiple myeloma is going to come about again and more aggressively. And we'll have to use a different cocktail chemotherapy drugs and on and on. And I said, well, what's going to happen to the quality of my life, which is actually the only thing I'm concerned about. Longevity means nothing to me, but quality of life is everything. So he says, well, while you're in remission, you're going to feel good. But as your quality of life, as the the disease comes back, your quality of life is going to deteriorate. And of course, the chemotherapy is going to make it worse too. And then I ask a very straightforward question and I say, well, how am I going to die? Um, These are (laughs) questions that I want answers to. 
And he tells me that most patients with multiple myeloma, when all the chemotherapy and stem cells, although I wasn't a candidate for stem cells, fails eventually, which will do, it will do. Multiple myeloma patients generally die from one of three things. They have severe anemia, bleed to death because of all the blood, uh, blood cells, red blood cells just not being functional anymore. Um, or I get an infection because this is seriously damaging my immune system. I get an infection like a simple cold, turns into pneumonia, and they can't treat it with anything. And antibiotics don't work anymore. And then I die from an infection or I die from kidney failure. None of these do I want, but I needed to know that. So I'm looking at my wife and I'm looking at my kids and I say, look, I need, I'm not going to do chemotherapy. I need to develop a quality of life until whatever time I die, three months, six months. Okay. Uh, get the pain out of my chest. So they can do that with some radiation, isolated radiation treatment. Doesn't treat the cancer, just treats the pain from the broken ribs that's sticking into the lungs. I do that and I get better. But I reject the chemotherapy and I start creating my unconventional cancer protocols. Basically, I tweak them to the point where I have 10 protocols that other than one of them, it's very specific for my cancer, all nine other protocols are designed to improve my immune system because that's the critical element. I do not have a cure for cancer. And by the way, I am not in remission, but I feel fantastic. So I do this and I really do well from September of 2018 when I have this diagnosis to August of 2019. Is this story getting too long for you, by the way? Because there's still not more. at all, not at all. I'm just letting all you right. do your thing, Dr. L. This is fascinating. <laughs> so, so there's another part of this story that is literally puts the nail in the coffin. So here's what's happening. I know that my bones are fragile, meaning that I have potential, I have the potential for pathological fractures because my cancer is eating away the the mineralization of my bones throughout my skeleton. So I'm August of 2019, one year later, beyond my prognosis, I am brushing and flossing my teeth in my bathroom, looking in the mirror, standing on the floor, obviously with my two feet planted on the floor and I floss and then I need to throw the floss away. So I, like anybody else, would throw the floss into the trash can. My trash can is to my left. I twist 90 degrees to my left to throw the dental floss away. As that is happening, my right femur snaps in half. I crash to the floor because now I'm only a one-legged individual without realizing that. So my balance is gone. I crash to the floor. I break a couple more ribs and crack my right humerus in half, or my, uh, my right humerus. And so I am literally a broken, physically broken man. On my right side, I'm writhing in more pain than you can imagine. I'm screaming for my wife who's in the other room. This is in the evening. She comes running. Very emotional scene. Obviously, she calls EMS. But while she's getting the emergency services out to the house, I can see my arm and my leg um, in angles that I can never bend. I know these are fractured. I had no, I had no idea. I fractured them the way I did, but I see this and I know I am really broken. So at this point, I'm very spiritual. And at this point, I, I believe that this is the end for me. I certainly believe that I could not regain any quality of life because all the people I know that just get a hip fracture die within several months. So here I am with lots and lots of big bones fractured on my right side and I have cancer. So I go to the hospital, they do fix my right femur because I'm ready to perforate the femoral artery. I would bleed to death. The hospital doesn't want that lawsuit. So they're going to fix that. Um, they don't fix my right humerus and it's nothing to do really with the broken ribs. And they send me to hospice hospital to die. I'm ready to die. I'm catheterized, highly drugged, all kinds of other medications. And I'm ready to die and I want to die. I know this is my time. 
And I'm comfortable with that. But one week later, there is a hurricane. This sounds like a novel, right? That I, you know, not, couldn't be, it can't be real. It's just fiction. But there is a hurricane coming to Charleston that is going to potentially hit the hospice hospital dead on. It's moving at one mile an hour, but it has 187 mile an hour winds. So the hospital's ordered to evacuate all their patients. My wife's an RN. She, we, they decide they're going to send me to my home and my wife's getting a hospital bed. I'm still in hospice. And so I get to my home, the hurricane goes through. So I'm having hospice care in my house, catheterized, drugged, bedridden, miserable, depressed, um, whatever you can think of that's terrible it is. But my wife tells me, she gives me some tough love and she says, look, you are not a victim, you're a survivor. You created those cancer protocols that really did well for you until this terrible accident. Let's get you back on the cancer protocols. Let me get a physical therapist in. Let's see what we can do. And again, I am miserable, but I accept it. And she gets a physical therapist. He does some wonders within a couple of weeks. I am actually able to sit up in bed. I can stand up. I get the catheter out, which is a godsend. Um, and I can walk with a walker. And all of a sudden, I'm doing better. I'm reviving and I revoke hospice. And I go to my, my oncologist the next month who thought I died or couldn't believe I was still alive. And he talks to me about some immunotherapy, which is not chemotherapy, but support like a monoclonal antibody to support and kill some plasma cells. I work with that, but I'm basically on my cancer protocols. And in May of 2020, I get a new PET scan, which is an x-ray where they inject radioactive glucose to see where the cancer cells are. And for the first time, this is the third PET scan I've had, but for the first time, they say there's no active cancer cells that they can see. Now, PET scans are not the answer because small cancer cells can just float around. And my disease is in the bone marrow. This mass seems to have um, not been active, but my disease is in the bone marrow, small cancer cells floating around. It doesn't pick up on the PET scan. I am not in remission, but this PET scan is negative and it's very exciting. So I continue with my cancer protocols. Here I am today. I do wonderfully. And I am telling the world about these unconventional cancer protocols, not to cure cancer. Believe me, I do not have a cure for cancer. Don't have anybody suggest I've cured cancer or I have a cure for cancer. What I do have is a method that anyone, including somebody with cancer, can do things to support their immune system where the fight is in your body. It is designed to fight the fight to make you healthy. It kills and gobbles up infectious and antigens that originate inside your body as well as externally, like viruses and external infection, bacterial infections. If you have a strong immune system, you have a strong army to work for you. If it's dysfunctional, it is going to be highly compromised and not do what it needs to do. That's where I am. That's my story. I'm going to stick with it. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Dr. Al, from the time that you were given your finite time to live to now, mm -hmm. how long has that been? Three years. From September 2018, and now it's almost September it is September 2021. So you've lasted 18, three years. You've lasted two and a half years longer than the best estimates. Right. My oncologist was very clear and he said three to six months. And he really meant it because he was shocked that I was doing better after six months with my unconventional cancer protocols with no chemotherapy other than the radiation to work with my broken ribs. No immunotherapy yet, nothing, nothing at all except my stuff. No other medications. I was not taking medications. At so, that the, point. so the next obvious question that every single person listening to this is going to want to know, what do your cancer protocols look like? 
Oh, absolutely. And I, I, if you don't have the copy or link, I will send them to you. It's, it's free and available to anybody that wants to know. The interesting thing is in the, in the cancer community, especially the ones that want to be more alternative, they are very plant-based. My philosophy from all the medical research I see is an animal-based method to heal my body. So my cancer protocols are this. Um, maybe I'll remember all 10, maybe I won't. But the first and probably one of the biggest ones is a diet that is nutrient-dense, anti-inflammatory with nothing that could be added to the body that is irritating. In other words, for example, if you had, you're the healthiest guy in the world and you had a splinter in your finger, I don't care how healthy you are, that splinter in your finger is gonna cause an inflammatory result affecting your immune system until you get the splinter out. Now, once the splinter is out, you heal. And if you're healthy, you heal without any repercussions. And if, if you were dumb enough to take that splinter and stick it in the original puncture wound once a week, it would never heal. And you would constantly be um, uh, compromising your immune system. So I have a diet program that gives my body every nutrient I need in very natural bioavailable methods and eliminates any irritant that could affect my absorption of these nutrients or my gut microbiome. And that goes to my second protocol. And that is you must have a diverse microbiome. And that means this, we have 38 trillion microbes in our gut and we are only made up of 20 trillion human cells. So we are more microbial than human. And all that microbial activity is life-sustaining for us. We do not want to damage it. And if it is damaged, we need to repair it. And I would say 90% of civilized societies, 90%, and that's probably less than, than reality, is metabolically dis dysfunctional with an unhealthy gut microbiome. So to improve that gut diversity, to create many, many different species and many numbers of different species, it will crowd out potentially pathogenic bacteria because we always have potentially pathogenic bacteria. They're not bad until they overgrow. So it will crowd out potentially pathogenic bacteria, making that gut very healthy, the gut microbiome communicates with the immune system 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it also heals the mucous membrane, the mucous layer um, between the lumen of the gut and its outer coating called the epithelial barrier and can repair holes in the epithelial barrier that would be known as a leaky gut. So if you can do those two things, you are on the absolute right track to improving your immune system. But there are other elements that need to be considered. Um, the individual cells of the body have a membrane where ions go in and out of the cell to go into the cytoplasm to put nutrients in and to remove waste products. And in that cell cytoplasm are batteries, like batteries in a flashlight. You know, if you had a bunch of batteries in a flashlight, you turn it on, the light glows brightly, but if you leave it on, the light eventually dims and then it goes out, the batteries eventually weaken and die. We have batteries in every cell of our body, except maybe the red blood cells, that makes those cells function. It gives it energy. The energy is in the form of ATP. And the energy is created by this battery called the mitochondria. So some cells have two or 300 mitochondria per cell. And some have two or 3,000 mitochondria per cell if those um, organs need a lot of activity like the heart, for example. So there are methods to improve, improve the actual membrane and the function of the mitochondria. And that can be um, with what's called 
pulsed electromagnetic field therapy. I'm not going to go into that deeply. People can look it up, but it is frequencies that are very natural to the human body. Every cell of our body communicates with chemicals, also communicates with frequencies. These frequencies help the cell membrane to stay very active from a, mil, a mini a millivoltage potential, and it enhances the mitochondrial function. And these mats that are created with pulse electromagnetic field, um, if they're designed properly, and most of the mats on the marketplace are not, but several are, and those can enhance the health of the cell. So I'm looking at diet, I'm looking at the gut microbiome, I'm looking at cellular health. And then there are some things that are very simple, um, good exercise, good sleep patterns, and a few other things that I incorporate in my unconventional cancer protocols. All of that enhances the immune system. So the critical element, the bottom line is to do whatever you can to enhance your immune system. So this is something that could work for people that, that don't have cancer, that are just looking of to course. their health. Of course, absolutely, without a doubt. It was a loaded question, by the way. <laughs> so what do you eat, Doc? What do you eat day to day? Yeah, so so here's the diet that has evolved because I didn't have brilliance on day one. So my cancer protocols are totally, almost totally different than it was when I started out. But today, my, well, my diet when I started the cancer protocols actually was paleolithic to start with, but when I had the cancer protocols because I had cancer, I went to an autoimmune paleolithic diet. So I basically cut out nightshades, but I was eating paleolithically. Um, then nightshades, some... nightshades, just for the uninitiated, uh, things like tomatoes well, so and basically and... tomatoes, eggplants, peppers, um, chili. I mean, I can't remember all of the nightshades, but. Yeah, this you Capsicum. can look up easily the nightshades, but the nightshades have very, very irritating chemicals that damage the gut microbiome and create issues with autoimmune disease because it affects the leaky gut situation too. So that's what I did. And I didn't find until I did some research and I did the research primarily from listening to some um, um, podcast, but doing some reading and researching a clinic in Budapest, Hungary called the Paleo Medicina Clinic. So the Paleo Medicina Clinic is a medical facility in Budapest, Hungary, started in 2011, I believe. The doctors have treated up to this point over 5,000 patients. They kind of specialize in chronic diseases and cancers. And here's what's interesting. They treat their patients, their ideal treatment for their patients is a strict, what they call a paleolithic ketogenic diet, which is very animal-based, nose to tail, with no supplements and no pharmaceutical prescribed medications. Everything is done with this animal-based, strict animal-based diet. And they publish a variety of case reports over time of their patients and they have several publications of some very um, aggressive cancers that have recovered and even in remission for over four years from this particular diet program. So after reading the research, looking at the case reports and everything else I was finding out, the carnivore diet or this animal-based diet that they profess to me, made all the sense in the world, especially with my cancer, which is incurable. So I switched from paleolithic, my paleo autoimmune diet on January 1st, 2020, to a very strict carnivore diet, very strict. Nothing but animal-based foods, nose to tail, no fruits, no vegetables, no nuts, no seeds whatsoever. Now that was the beginning. I did that for about a year and a half, and then I switch, switched back to um, some plants that are low in oxalates, phytates, and, and lectins, which are damaging. So my basically eating plan now for me is about 85 to 90% animal-based and 10 to 15% plant-based with, with those uh, very select plants. And I've written a um, little mini ebook 
that describes that program called the Better Belly Blueprint. And I can go to the extent that I would recommend 70% animal-based and 30% plant-based as long as the plants um, are part of the select list that I explained. So that's the diet. But included with the diet are some other elements that carnivore dieters miss, I think. And one of them is hydration and electrolytes. So I even have an experience where I was drinking filtered water and every month I go to my oncologist and they do blood work. So from, from September, 2018, all the blood work I do every month until today, actually last, last week, my BUN, blood urea nitrogen, was always high to above normal. My oncologist always told me I needed to drink more water because BUN, I didn't have kidney issues. So the BUN is a good um, biomarker for dehydration. If you're throwing up and you have nausea or diarrhea, your BUN tends to go up. So I wasn't having any of those things. And I was drinking, I, I told my oncologist, gobs and gobs of filtered water. And he said, well, you need to drink more water. I said, I couldn't drink any more water. So all of a sudden, there's a light that goes on in my head. And I'm thinking, I'm drinking filtered water. It's healthy. But it's dead water. I didn't realize what I was drinking. It was just pure H2O. It didn't have any trace minerals or certainly the chemicals were gone and all those other bad things. But it didn't have anything good in it. It was just water. And the water was not hydrating well in my body. And no idea except my BUN was always high to over the, the high um, normal range. So I found out about a method of hydrating yourself naturally called Sole, S-O-L-E. It's actually written up by the original Himalayan Salt Company, and it's fascinating. So basically... Himalayan salt in rock form, if you, look, if you know Himalayan salt, that rock crystals, very beautiful pink variety of shades of pink crystals, you can take those crystals and fill it up in a mason jar halfway and then add pure spring water, not filtered water, certainly not um, adulterated water, just natural spring water. Fill it up to the top of the mason jar. In 24 hours, that liquid becomes a supersaturated liquid. What that means is it is dissolving the trace minerals in the salt crystals. And the assays show that in original Himalayan salt, there are 84 trace minerals. Phenomenal. So that liquid in 24 hours is supersaturated with these 84 um, trace minerals. Obviously, sodium chloride is part of it. So you take one teaspoon. I have a medicine dropper, plastic medicine dropper. I take one teaspoon of that supersaturated liquid, put it in maybe eight to 16 or eight to 12 ounces of just natural spring water. And I drink it first thing in the morning with an empty stomach and I eat nothing for the next half hour or so. And I do that every day. And the anecdotal information says it's going to help you hydrate. I don't know. You know, I'm an N equals one study. I'm willing to do almost anything if it doesn't harm me. So I tried that. Well, here's what's amazing. Two or three weeks later, I have my next blood work. And I've done and this is maybe six to seven weeks now. Every blood work now that I have, my BUN is in the middle range. It's never been there. So my oncologist says to me, well, you're finally drinking more water. And I said, no, I'm drinking water that has trace minerals that is actually hydrating my cells better. So this is such a critical factor in the carnivore diet because carnivores and most people that diet don't think about ele electrolytes or they drink filtered water that's dead water, or they drink filtered water and they add two or three different minerals, but it's not all the trace minerals that might be there from prehistoric oceans. So I think this is a very important critical element and it's part of my food 
um, way of eating. And I eat uh, nose to tail. Now, when I don't eat nose to tail means the not only the muscle meat, basically rudiment, red meat, um, cattle and lamb, uh, not, eat, not only red meat, it has to include the saturated fat, it has to include the organs, and it has to include all the collagenous parts. All that is symbiotic, it needs to be done. So I don't eat organs every day, but I do eat desiccated organs, which are nothing more or nothing less than the organ, raw organ from free, uh, front, uh, grass, uh, grass finished um, cattle in New Zealand that is dehydrated or desiccated in low heat, or no heat, however they do it. Um, it's the pad, the only things removed is the water, nothing is added and the capsule is pure gelatin. Um, so it's all animal based. And I eat a variety of organs and I eat some bone marrow and I eat collagen peptides. So I do that to get all of the organ products that I may not eat that day. But if I eat liver, then I don't need to desiccate the liver. If I am fortunate enough to eat some bone marrow, which I love, then I don't take the bone marrow, desiccated bone marrow capsule. Um, if I'm eating bone broth that is very collagenous and like jello when it's refrigerated, then I don't eat the collagen peptides. But I use those desiccated organs when I'm not eating that organ that day. And I think it's done phenomenal for me and my immune system and my gut. So that's my diet. And I only eat when I'm hungry, and I only drink when I'm thirsty. You're 74 years young. You don't yeah. look. You don't look like anyone that has gone through the ravages of cancer at all. Well, that's the cover cover girl cover girl makeup really works, right? Because you're worth it. Yes, yeah, and okay. and I mean, I would love to see some. Photographs of uh, you at your worst. Hopefully, you know, for posterity, your wife took any, maybe not. <laughs> but just no, on- no, no. You will not see those pictures <laughs> when I was in hospice. There are pictures when I was in hospice. Um, pale, weak, um, depressed, demoralized, catheterized. Oh my God. No, you will never see those pictures. Never say never, Doctor Earl, <laughs> because uh, <laughs> uh, I love I love showing people my transformation. Because it, no matter how good a storyteller I am, the picture paints a million words on this occasion. Yes, and yes. and some more n equals one. You, you use your imagination, and you'll paint. <laughs> So more N equals one for you. Since you and I had the opportunity to connect a couple of weeks ago and uh, to plan for this particular interview, uh, I've started taking the Sole water. And, oh, and what I, do you think? Well, I haven't. I didn't have any chunks of the rock salt, but I had. Um, it was uh, it was crushed into a a relatively coarse grain, but it is high-quality Himalayan pink salt that I got from a guy interstate about a year ago where I also bought my um, gravity-fed water filter as well, which uh, softens the water and I think remain it keeps a lot of the mineralization that, that a lot of filters do remove. But incidentally, what has happened, I have struggled with sugar cravings for a long time and a lot of people put it down to the fact that i'm a runner and and i've been running between uh 30 to 45 kilometers a week recently and that has quite a um can generate quite a lot of cortisol and then that's um you know the hunger hormone gets driven up and that kind of thing but since i've been taking this sole and i'm not religious with it and I don't always have it on an empty stomach. It might be mixed in with some uh, caffeine, you know, through a black coffee within 15, 20 minutes. Uh, my sugar cravings have almost exclusively disappeared. And what I've been able to get away with is I found a um, whipped cream from Costco from New Zealand. It's unsweetened. All it has is the propellant, right? And I can like create a big bowl of that and I've weighed 
20 grams of uh, an organic maple syrup and and sprinkle or, or drizzle that over it. Now, the combination, I mean, it is honestly one of the most delicious things ever. Now, metabolically, I'm in a good place. I've got a great immune system. Uh, you know, I had a dry socket earlier this year, which I was able to heal without any antibiotics, even though they gave them to me. And I had an infected nerve at one point. Um, my recovery from any kind of uh, bumps or bruises is, is remarkable. But the the noticeable uh, lack of sugar cravings, and you're talking about someone who um, would emotionally eat and in, in moments of weakness would easily destroy three to four pints of ice cream and sweetened whipped cream on top. So for me to go from that to that, and and I've been able to measure the, the um, I had the bowl of cream and measured everything with my scales just to see how much I was in there. And, uh, and I can eat that plus a bunch of other stuff and still be in a 0.1 ketone per millimole at the end of the day. And uh, so that's my N equals one experience for the Solo water. So highly recommend. That's a fantastic story, right? Because this really transforms something biologically in your system that was not functioning properly and is functioning properly now. What I would recommend if you're going to do that, and it all sounds luscious, um, I would substitute the maple syrup. Can I guess? Yeah, Yeah, raw honey. Raw honey. And of course, my my recommendation is not so far away from you, and that would be New Zealand's Manuka honey. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely do that because Manuka has more research than any other honey, and it is medicine. Um, I use it for a variety of situations, but I eat honey every day. Well, it's funny you say that. Uh, I think I got the maple syrup just because it stays uh, liquid better, even when you put it in the freezer. And um, I do have some um, New Zealand Manuka honey in there as well. I am from New Zealand, so I'm accustomed. I grew up with it. Uh, my mum was certainly into this kind of thing as well, thank God. And there's probably people listening to this that are already triggered. And the fact that you've stuck around this long to listen, congratulations to you, sir and madam. But I want to talk to you about brushing your teeth with honey because <laughs> we're really going to send things skyward. So I um, I wrote an article. I've written many articles about honey, but I ver- wrote a very, very clear article about toothbrushing and manuka honey. Um, and you know what's interesting? The um, feedback from some is marvelously supportive. And from some, I am being lambasted as a quack and much, much worse things that we don't want to record. So here's the fact. There are facts out there. There are double-blind studies of Manuka honey in many, many controlled trials of in the mouth and in the gut, and it's used for... Um, vaginal candidiasis. It's used for healing wounds on skin. It's used for healing diabetic ulcers that don't heal from anything else. Look, this is happening. So is it sugar? Of course it's sugar, but it's more than sugar. It is an animal-based product, although the carnivore, the strict carnivore community laughs at me and says, please get off my website. Um, because it's sugar. And, and there are other medical websites that I, or medical Facebook pages that I go on and put my articles on that literally have banned my article because, censor my article because I'm now promoting sugar. Well, you just don't understand. That's the ignorance. But yes, Manuka honey has been shown to be effective as a toothpaste. Not, not a lot of studies in that regard, but a couple orthodontic patients using Manuka honey, more of a swish and swallow type thing, um, because they, they can't clean their mouth well, has shown that the bacterial content that causes tooth decay and gum disease is greatly reduced. But there was a paper just published at the end of 2020 
of medical, uh, a peer-reviewed medical meta-analysis paper that showed that manuka honey, well, honey, I don't think it was specific to manuka, but honey will actually reduce the pathogenic bacteria that cause active periodontal disease. Well, manuka honey is great for people that have cancer that have what's called oral mucositis from either chemotherapy or radiation therapy. Um, Double-blind studies comparing it to corticosteroids with none of the bad side effects and all the benefits. There's over 200 biologically active chemicals in manuka honey. honey. Manuka honey in one tablespoon has 12 grams of carbs. That's a lot of honey. Very sweet, delicious honey. If you ate 12 grams of carbs and you're trying to be in ketosis, it will not throw you out of ketosis. I know, I've done it. I have documented that it doesn't do that. Now, if you eat three tablespoons of manuka honey, and now you're looking at 36 grams of carbs, it'll throw you out of ketosis if you want to be in ketosis. But one tablespoon is a lot, and you don't have to have a tablespoon. A half a tablespoon is very satisfying. So it's only a few grams of carbs, which are all sugars um, for the carbs. Well, there are other carbs. There's oligosaccharides and a variety of other complex carbs in honey rather than just sucrose and glucose. I mean, fructose and glucose. So it is, it's amazing. And I, I don't use honey on a regular basis to brush my teeth, but I do that. Um, I don't necessarily use toothpaste to brush my teeth. I dip it in maybe some Himalayan salt water. Um, if I like, if I want a toothpaste, I use a very natural, very healthy toothpaste called Revitin, which is R-E-V-I-T-I-N. It's available on the internet. Um, lots and lots of very, very gentle um, products in the toothpaste. But you don't have to have toothpaste to clean your, your teeth. And by the way, dental plaque is healthy until it's not. So you don't want to destroy all this wonderful dental plaque in your mouth. You just want to make it healthy. And we can go into that if you want. Well, this is a really good point. A lot of people that have listened to lots of uh, the other episodes of this uh, Become Your Own Superhero podcast will have heard me talk about my approach to looking at everything sort of through an ancestral lens. And and I wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying. I've eliminated everything on my skin apart from there's a shaving gel from the UK that I've uh, that I use about a 10 cent piece worth um, f- to shave my head. So where, where, where do you shave? Oh, okay. Just under my neck say, and, and my head, and right? Head. There you go. Because otherwise I'll grow a power donut and look like George Costanza from Seinfeld. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just like <laughs> the look of a nude nut, right? I don't wear any deodorant. I don't wear aftershave. I don't use toothpa- toothpaste. On the occasion that I do brush my teeth, I just use the water from the shower. Mm-hmm. And I, but I need to floss. Because I, um, you know, you do get quite a bit of uh, stuff trapped in there. Um, so let me just bring you to that point. Flossing is important to remove fibrous material that gets stuck between the contacts of the teeth and maybe some excess plaque that needs to be removed. But flossing is potentially very dangerous if you floss under the gum. So you don't want to floss under the gum although every hygienist will tell you to do that. But the best way to clean where the tooth meets the gum between the teeth is very, very tiny little bristle brushes made from silicone that are called TP Easy Picks, available on um, Amazon internet. Uh, they ha- those filaments actually rub where the gum tooth meets. You go in and out like you would think about a toothpick, although you never want to use a toothpick, but This removes excess plaque, but it doesn't remove the underlying film of plaque, which is very, very healthy. If you're a healthy person, you don't want to remove the dental plaque. Okay. so Kill the dental plaque. That is good advice. And I must say, I am pretty good at being quite gentle with it. And it's only very obvious um, pieces of uh, food that get stuck in there. Sure. Usually the fibrous material you're talking about. And And I very rarely get any gum bleeding. I do have a um, a water pick, 
which um, if I have on a low setting, um, feels pretty good too. But a question I have for you for myself really is I've noticed since I've been on on a predominantly animal um, protein diet, I do get like a buildup of calcification usually behind the teeth. What what is that? Mm -hmm. Do you know? What is it? (coughs) So it depends on the minerals in your saliva, the acidity of your saliva. (coughs) But generally, it could be oxalates that you either either have eaten or you're getting rid of in your body. So when you eat, don't eat foods that have high oxalates like spinach and beets and Swiss chard. You're not eating those very high oxalate foods, chocolate, very high in oxalates. Um, Then your body, if you've been eating those in the past, store them in your cells, especially in your joints. And then it has to be released and it's called oxalate dumping. And you may have quite a number of oxalates floating in your blood um, for a while, maybe months to a year uh, that could be contributing to that. Another thing is that you may be lacking in vitamin K2 and you may be lacking in adequate vitamin D measured by the 25 hydroxy vitamin D blood test. So you have to have adequate vitamin D in your system at this point with everything else that's going on in the world. I would suggest a, uh, between 60 to 80 nanograms per milliliter for hydro- 25 hydroxy vitamin D blood test. Um, and you take supplements of vitamin D or eat grass fed butter, egg yolks that are pastured, you'll get vitamin K2 in that or K, a variety of Ks in that. Um, but especially vitamin K2, because K2 tells the body to cause the calcium to be deposited in hard structures than, rather than soft tissues. So if you don't have enough vitamin D, it's not working well with the cal- Vitamin D is important for calcium metabolism. And if you're taking vitamin D and not K2, there are some research studies that show calcium can be deposited in heart um, arteries. So you don't want calcium being deposited where it shouldn't be. So you have to have adequate vitamin K2 and a vitamin D level, plus the other things you need, magnesium, you need vitamin A. I mean, that's basically where a carnivore diet will help you. But it could be that you have oxalate dumping. It could be that you're deficient in vitamin D as well as vitamin K2. Okay, great feedback. Well, I can tell you without any shadow of any doubt, it's not vitamin D because my my I don't supplement with any vitamin D at all because I run shirtless most days of the week, rain, hail, or snow around the botanical gardens here in Melbourne, and I get at least an hour of direct sure, sunlight. That should, that should be fine. Yeah, that should be fine. Um, my <coughs> my vitamin D uh, blood work from last year was. Uh, well above the the recommended range, well above. Um, okay. The the buildup of the calcification in the teeth doesn't happen much anymore. It only happens, guess when? After a fast or after extended fasting. And and I'm curious to know, because I'm all over Sally Cade Norton's work as well with her and the oxalate side of things, uh, which for those listening are basically just uh, present in um, predominantly plant uh, matter as a protection mechanism of the plant, and they store in our body or bioaccumulate, and sounds like they are coming out. How how long can they stay in the body until I've given them a long enough time to let them chelate and get out of my body? So I don't know exactly. I've read that it could be a matter of months to a year or so. So I don't know what individual factors make it happen faster or not faster, but it's not unusual to have oxalate dumping for up to a year. Yeah, I my diet is so incredibly low in, in oxalate. I mean, I probably eat 97% of everything that I have is animal protein now um, as a percentage. So when you do your fasting, do you maintain hydration and electrolyte balance? That's important. Yeah, I've, I've been able to acquire a large quantity of the element uh, salt and magnesium potassium sachets. I have been making my own 
So you got to be aware of what else is in there. There are artificial flavors in that. These are the raw ones. I do have some flavored okay. ones, but I, I limit those. Uh, Make sure you look at the inert ingredients. I don't know. I haven't looked at them recently. I know that there are problems with the flavored ones. But make sure to see just what there is in that, especially in the inert ingredients, because that's where all the bad stuff is that they don't really talk about. Well, these are made by Rob Wolf uh, and his company. So he's 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 a very well respected. No, I know, I know, Rob, but but it doesn't matter. You have to look at the ingredient. Yeah, yeah, Um, you have to look at what's being put in it. It's it's a manufacturing company that. So you have to have this or have to have that. If I was to reel off the ingredients, would you? Yeah, tell me what the inert ingredients are. Because um, it's uh, LMNT uh, is the name of the right uh, company. Okay, so I want to try and find the. <coughs> The 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 raw. Here we go. The ingredients. Okay, so the actual breakdown is a thousand milligrams of sodium, two hundred milligrams of potassium, sixty milligrams of magnesium uh, per thing. In terms of the actual breakdown of it, I wonder if they. Do you know what the sodium is? Is that just. It's manufactured it's, um, sodium chloride. No, no, no. It's it's Redmond, Richmond, uh, Redmond. Oh, okay. Redmond, real salt. salt mm-hmm. I think we can. Um, I can post a link below with with stuff. I mean, people can make their own decision. I, I um, I was able to get some food grade magnesium powder a while ago, and I was making a snake juice, um, blend, which was uh, in two liters of water. It was one teaspoon of pink Himalayan sea salt, um. <laughs> Or half a teaspoon of uh, Himalayan pink salt, one teaspoon of magnesium, um, and one teaspoon of potassium uh, chloride, which was no salt or low salt, which was the brand, the only brand I could get of potassium. I'm sure there's cleaner potassium powder, but I, I, it's only because I'm an endurance athlete, Doctor L, that I top up on these when I eat really clean. Uh, when I say clean, like when I go pretty strict carnivore. <laughs> I have no issues with uh, with cramping or whatever. The only time that does rear its head is if I consume too much caffeine, which is I only drink black coffee, which seems to be um, – I can get a bit carried away with that sometimes. And, and I think sometimes that, that uh, depletes my, my electrolyte levels. So I understand. Well, Dr. Rell, look, there's a number of topics that I'm sure we could uh, deep dive on today, but um, maybe we'll save it for another interview. Uh, there are going to be a lot of people asking um, where they can find you and to learn more about what you and what you offer. Sure. How can they? So, so my website is drdannenberg.com, D-R-D-A-N-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. I have many, many blogs on my website that go into many different topics. There's a search engine. So if you had a keyword you wanted to check to see if I've written anything about it, put the keyword in and hit submit or whatever it says, and all the blogs that I've written will pop up. Um, Easily downloadable. It's not a big deal. Um, I do have two mini eBooks that are very informative, very short reads. One is the Better Belly Blueprint. That's my way of eating, 70% animal, 30% plant, um, unique plants. And then Is Your Gut Killing You goes into quite a bit of detail on uh, our lifestyle and the gut microbiome and how it's affecting periodontal disease and affecting every other organ system in the body, but it all starts in the gut. And it has, I think, 275 or 295 cited peer-reviewed articles that support my my concepts so those are very informational i do some consulting i do hour and a half consulting um, for individuals and or a 12-week coaching program basically balanced metabolic coaching but um, if you want to get a bunch of information you can start reading my blogs it has very very different topics that are maybe pertinent to the reader 
Yeah, well, I'm going to include all this in the links in the show notes for those listening as well, that you offer so many free resources, so much free information. You have more energy than any 74-year-old almost that I've ever met that's gone through any kind of health challenge. But I, I, can't, I can't run like you. <laughs> well, given the fact that, that. you're... Given the fact that you were a pile of broken bones just a couple of years ago, Dr. <laughs> o, I think you're doing pretty bloody damn good. I know you are well, I still have, you've got a long way to go with the journey that you're on. You're sharing some really brilliant uh, inspiration and really the epitome of what the Become Your Own Superhero show is all about, and we are so grateful for that. Do you have any concluding thoughts for our audience today? Absolutely. First of all, if you are confronted with a medical diagnosis and prognosis that is not ideal, you need to realize that there are many other opinions and just one opinion from one guy in a white coat that tells you you got to do this or else. So there are many other ways to go. And I will tell you that emotional stress is a big factor and a support system like my wife is a very important factor. And, and Anything and everything you do must improve your immune system. That is the goal. And there is no way to take a um, a package of synthetic vitamins and pills or whatever. And all of a sudden, because they tell you this is going to make your immune system strong, it just doesn't work that way. So you have to work at it. You have to be proactive. But it is possible and doable and not expensive if you just understand what you have to do. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Al Dannenberg. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O. ES.com.